Labor Day weekend. Are you ready, Dave? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm way overdue. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, and I got the whole house to myself. Uh, the my lady is uh, still in Sweden. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, so just just me so and the dog. Was, how was Sweden? Oh, Sweden was great. Oh, it's so nice there this time of year. Um, the weather was spectacular, and it's just a riot of flowers and plants. I mean, the, the it's it's a beautiful country um, any time of year, but most especially now. Um, mm. And so it was wonderful. So we got to go to a proper Swedish wedding, which I didn't understand a word of, but everybody seemed very happy at the end, so I presume it went off without a hitch. <laughs> it uh, worked. It okay. <laughs> I assume it worked, yeah. Um, how about you? Oh, it's. Um, I was surprised over the past, uh, since last time, um, Lauren was actually uh, called out on uh, Crane's Business Cleveland podcast. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm like, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it wound up that um, there was a lady that was interviewed. Her name was uh, uh, Rachel Wilkins Patel, and she's a founder of uh, Her Ideas in Motion, um, which is a 501c3 hands-on learning for girls uh, in technology and media arts uh, sort of endeavor. And uh, my wife and I wound up, or not my wife and I, but my wife and Lauren uh, actually took a uh, web programming class uh, as a Mother's Day present. It was like a mother-daughter uh, coding, uh, <laughs> le- learning how to code. Um, that's, that's how we roll in the x um, <laughs> That's wonderful. Is your, uh, is your wife also a developer? I actually don't know. No, no, she's, uh, she's more like a tech writer, um, mm-hmm. you know, journalism major and all that. So mm-hmm. It was fun for her to go up and and uh, you know, they were they were able to uh, work on doing a little bit of web development and uh, so that I guess Lauren made an impression on those ladies and they've been following her um, and so they mentioned her on the on this podcast and uh, so and my wife was like oh wow these these people are doing really good things and so my wife ended up uh, as a result she's volunteering up there to. Um, uh, to help with coordinating all the events they're doing, and and they had a uh, just a, a picnic the other day up at the Cleveland Metro Parks, and um, oh fun, yeah. So it's it's uh, so you know it's like we go there. We didn't know many of the people there, and they're introducing us and all that. And there's one lady; she had a dog, and Lauren loves animals, and she's goes up and and is petting a dog, and uh, and uh, the lady said to to uh, Lauren is like, oh well, do do you have a dog? And Lauren's like, well, no, I have two guinea pigs. And the lady's <laughs> like, oh, you're Lauren. And, <laughs> and, and Lauren was just like, um, yeah. And and so and she's like, well, how did you know? She's like, oh, I've been following you and everything. I saw the article on OpenSource.com and everything. And so it was it was, it was pretty funny. So oh, that's was, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was pretty nice that they you know that you know they're making a, a big difference to help with uh, getting girls uh, interested in. Uh, um, you know, coding and, and technology and STEM and all that stuff. So we're, we're big fans of that. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, in other news, did you see the, uh, we got a really nice shout out on opensource.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Zach, uh, the, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. S C I A L S C I A L S C I A L S C I A L S C I A L S I don't know. Zach, write in, let us know how to pronounce your last name. Um, uh, Zach, uh, in addition to being a member of the Awkward Surname Club, um, mm. of which you and I are founding members, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> he uh, he wrote a really nice uh, kind of roundup of his experience being an intern at Red Hat, and uh, gave uh, the Dave and Gunner show a nice uh, nice little shout out. So thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do we got on tap this week? Uh, let's see. We 
Snollygoster is firing nine of every ten sysadmins. It's mm-hmm. an interesting piece of news there. Um, also, yeah, still more Google and privacy. I think we'll just make that a regular section on the show. Um, okay. the, the Google privacy security access. Disappointment of the week. Disappointment yeah. of the week, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Some stuff on hands-free computing. Uh, mm-hmm. my, I've got a serious problem with a reputation management, uh, which we'll discuss in, in depth later. Uh, and Dave, I understand you had uh, your lesson on how to say no. Uh, I understand you had those weapons turned against you. Yes, it's great. That's great and humiliating. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, also, we've got a ton of stuff on the cutting room floor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, well, it's basically just heavy metal and librarians. Pretty much everything, everything goes in one bucket or another. Um, so, yeah, so, so this week's cutting room floor dedicated to my mother, a librarian. And uh, I, I, got, I don't think she's a heavy metal fan, actually. But <clears throat> She we, will be after this episode. She will be after this episode because Henry Rollins uh, keynoted the uh, California Library Association Conference, uh, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, and you found a video of... Th- <laughs> you said, hey, Gunner, check out this video of... Uh, these librarians reenacting the Beastie Boys sabotage video. And I was like, great. I love the Beastie Boys and I like librarians. So I'm going to go check it out thinking that it was like a bunch of tattooed hipster librarians doing it. But, mm-hmm. but no, that's, that's, it's actually like straight out of straight out of central casting librarians <laughs> dressed up like the Beastie Boys from the sabotage video. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and you found drone guy, the, the burning man saw fit to, uh, promulgate some drone guidelines uh, for this mm-hmm. year's event. Yeah, so for those that are going and planning to bring their drone, they need to read up. Get ready. I find it fascinating that they they, they need drone guidelines, but not uh, hygiene and patchouli guidelines. Uh, right. <laughs> well, so to get these guidelines, where, where does everybody need to go? And mm. also to see the video. Yeah, uh, so to check out the, uh, the Beastie Boy librarian video, uh, you can go to uh, dgshow.org. Uh, that's Diaz and Dave, Jews and Gunner, show.org. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and we're on iTunes. And please go rate us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Check, check, check. All done there. Um, so what's this with the uh, Snolly Gosters and the uh, sysadmins, Dave? Yeah. So uh, there's news that came out since last time that the NSA, um, they're replacing 90% of their system administrators. Um, but whenever I read all the articles, I, I couldn't tell whether they are eliminating jobs or eliminating access, like root access to systems. And there's a difference, right? Yes. Right. Um, I mean, I presume you can't just you can't just decide that nine of every 10 sysadmin is, is redundant. I, I guess that would mean they were restricting access, but then how do you, the sysadmins were doing something all day, mm-hmm. I, I assume. Um, so how do you manage a system without giving somebody access to everything on the system? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I think one of the things was that like uh, Edward Snowden was, he was escalating his privileges to impersonate other people to get information. Um, and so they're like, Oh, well, let's, you know, let's restrict access. And um, good news uh, for those that are using RHEL is that you could do confined users to prevent people from escalating their privileges if they're not authorized. And um, But I guess if they do lay off people, Red Hat is hiring. 
Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we'll put a link in the show notes. That's right. So Red Hat, um, Hat, Red Hat can help you coming and going on this problem. We can, we can prevent the problem from happening, and then we can hire you if the NSA fires you, right? Yeah. And then, but the other part was that there was this link uh, we'll put in the show notes from uh, a blog post by uh, on, on O'Reilly where um, a lady interviewed a lot of the automation companies saying that, oh, well, can you automate your way to doing um, to eliminate all your system administrators? And, um, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, you, you really can't, but I think that automation can help lower your administration costs if you do it smartly. And then, but we're also doing a lot. It's more than just you know centralized management with stuff like satellite and all that, but also um, you know centralizing your security policy, right? Which mm-hmm. is like things like the SCAP security guide, and you know so it's defining it and then um, scanning systems and making sure that uh, they haven't drifted out of compliance, and mm-hmm. you can automate that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, it, so what what do you what do you suppose is the average ratio of administrators to servers? I want to say yeah, it was I a, don't know. I feel like I don't it was. Well, so I feel like it was one in fifty. I think was the for Linux that was, that's the yes. that's the average, right? Does that sound yes. right? Yeah, there was there was uh, yeah, that's like a lot of the IDC things, and then I know you know we've IDC has done studies where it's like oh you can get to you know a couple hundred to one if you're using satellite. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but in this case here, I wonder you know again going back to my original question is mm. that. Maybe they weren't really administrators, but they had root access. And did did people really need to have root access on their systems to do work? Right, right. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, it, it it happens pretty frequently that you give somebody more access than they necessarily need, just because you don't want to uh, you don't want them to have to come back to you for for more privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a delicate. It's a it's an art uh, getting exactly the right set of perm- giving the right set of permissions to people. Right. Um, yep not it's not not an easy problem to solve not easy mm-hmm. at all okay um here, so the next item is another kind of efficiency um i saw this headline i have no idea what it might mean is it code by voice faster than keyboard like yes that seems impossible yeah so this th- so this, uh we'll put a link in the show notes mm-hmm. um it's basically a 30 minute presentation that uh this guy gave, I think, at one of the Python conferences where he had repetitive stress injury. And it's like, well, he, you know, he's like a programmer by trade and he can't use a keyboard. So what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. And so he worked on, he's like, well, how can I figure this out? And and he looked at all these different tools. And so I I believe he was using a, um, uh, like a, a Windows box with Dragon naturally speaking on it. And then he would have a, um, like a VM that would be running Linux and then have a terminal up. And then he would, it, it, so imagine this, using VI and Emacs all by voice. <laughs> Faster than typing. And so it's like, so he even did a demo and I, I thought it was it was pretty cool. And it's like, I thought it would be just like, you know, shift, uh, shift, uh, ZZ. Yeah. You escape, know, and, and so, escape, escape colon, escape, I, escape. Yeah, right. Right, and so, but it really wasn't that way. He came up with um, things like um, like shortcut, um, you know, lower bracket or whatever for like left bracket or whatever, and um, and and so it's like he would be talking, and you would think that just like you know talking in VI out loud would be kind of bonkers, but mm-hmm. um, using his like made up words and imagine him doing that into a microphone in a Starbucks would just be like 
crazy, right? Um, but it was it was pretty wild. Um, and and you know, so he had his own vocabulary, um, and he was doing it with Emacs VI, doing shell commands. Um, and I thought it was really interesting for uh, compelling for people that are you know uh, physically disabled. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with sure. all the yeah, assistive uh, technology, it's it's something that I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Especially as I was I was sitting there with my my arm going numb um, from you know, and when I use a mouse and all that, um, as we were talking about last week, I, right? I thought that was pretty cool. I won't that, do it, but yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I I was thinking in another direction, which was if he's developing his own words for each of these commands, he's developed his own domain specific language, right? To use mm-hmm. the to use the term of art, um, and you can imagine this becoming very common, right? Because repetitive stress injuries happen to everybody. Um, it's a frequent complaint um, in our industry. Uh, so you can imagine this catching on and having a <laughs> having to learn the shortcut language for your particular company um, mm-hmm. or your particular open source project, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That would be kind of, huh, it's another interesting, another cultural artifact. It becomes possible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, speaking of voice commands, have you tried out Google now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about it in the past, but mm-hmm. I, I think they've made some uh, additional improvements where, um, you know, and we talked about this in, in previous episodes where um, you give it a command and not only will it, you know, do like a Google search, but it'll actually search in your phone. So you could say, where's my hotel? And and it would say it would it would say oh there's a hotel reservation inside your mailbox and then it would extract um, what that hotel name is and then um, you know give you directions driving directions to where your hotel is um, so instead of having to do multiple steps to get there it was, it was pretty cool same thing like what's my flight status um, you don't need to say what's the flight status of flight blah 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 you just say what's my flight status and it'll try to guess right that's great that's really good creepy, and- creepy great but yeah. Yeah, could be great. But again, better than the alternative, which is not having access to that information, right? Um, as we talked about in the last episode, that, that trade-off between utility um, and privacy. And mm-hmm. uh, the more services like this that Google comes up with um, that rewards me for giving them my information, uh, I'm, I'm behind that 100%. I think that's great. Um, assuming, of course, that they're handling my data in a relatively safe fashion. Uh, subpoenas, oh, you know, subpoenas and laws not... Oh. Okay. Yeah, all, all the so now uh, Google's cloud storage is uh, server side encryption. Hmm. Do do I get the keys? So that's where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it encrypts all the data before it's written to disk, and it's at no extra charge for like if you're using their cloud services, and um, you have one of two choices. One is that you could manage the keys yourself, uh, which Google wouldn't have access to, or um, you could um, let Google manage the keys for you, and you know which would again provide you with more convenience. And I was thinking about that, and it's like I don't know if that's a perfect solution because um, let's say I have a terabyte of storage out on Google storage, and I want to do computation on that storage. I need how am I going to write a cloud app- application that runs on Google? to work on that terabyte of data, you know, I, I want my code to be executing close to where the data is. I don't want to have to pull down a terabyte to do the computation on it. Mm-hmm. So that means I need to give my encryption key to the application that's running on Google. So I have to give up my keys in order to do that. Um, but if I manage the keys, you know, it's like, uh, and so I don't know. I, I don't think this is a, a perfect 
uh, solution, unless you do something like uh, homomorphic encryption, as we talked about in episode nine, where right. you don't, you know, it's like you could leave it encrypted and let people work on the data in an encrypted way um, without having to decrypt it, which is pretty cool uh, area of research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just, it, I wonder why they went through the trouble. Um, because it doesn't actually, you know, as long as they're subject to, you know, the government coming in and compelling them by law to, mm-hmm. um, cooperate or disclose information or whatever it is. Um, as long as that's in place, it doesn't seem like they can do all the encryption tricks they want and it actually won't matter. Um, as long as, as you say, as long as someone actually wants to conduct their computation or actually do their work on the Google servers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the encryption really only works if you're, grabbing the data and, and downloading it and working on your own machines. Um, yeah. It seems weird that they would, it seems like a marketing trick, right? Right. And the, you know, one of the parts that they, they're like, Oh, we manage the keys using the same techniques that we do it for our other servers and all that. But, um, which is okay. But, but still, like you said, it's, uh, you know, a government can still, um, compel Google to look at your data if they wanted to. I think one of the benefits is, you know, I guess to keep, um, you know, to at least, you know, that we were talking about before defense in depth of being able to, um, you know, it'll be encrypted at rest. So if they throw out a disk drive, somebody can't go in a dumpster at Google and reconstitute mm-hmm. the, the data if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one, it's not a perfectly complete solution, but it's a, a step in the dir- right direction. But I fear that I don't want people to think that it is a perfectly complete solution because I don't think it is. Right, right, right. Um, well, uh, so one solution to that, though, is uh, keeping your Google data out of the hands of the country interested in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, which brings us to the next item. Google is actually arguing that because they are a California company, they are outside the jurisdiction of the UK. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's, well, that's from uh, the Inquirer. Um, it was, they were saying that, uh, of course, not the oh, national. Oh, 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 the I inquirer, not the E inquirer. Yeah. 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 This, this, Google and Elvis, right. Um, yeah. So uh, it says here that uh, Google has told the UK high court that it is not subject to UK privacy laws because it's a US company. Um, and Google's in court because it danced around security settings on the Apple iPhone and collected some users' personal information through Safari. Um, so I, I thought this was interesting. You know, so was the law violated in the UK, or was it violated in California, where, where the servers are? Right, and 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 this is actually uh, this is actually just one example of the larger jurisdiction problem when you're talking about cloud services, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're <laughs> actually lucky that there's only two countries involved, right? So you can imagine if Google was keeping its data in, say, Turkey, uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, um, and serving it up to someone in the UK. Then who gets jurisdiction, right? So Turkey gets a Turkey gets a Turkey gets a crack at it. U.S. gets a crack at it. U.K. gets a crack at it. And it's I, I actually sympathize with Google here because the way that the laws are set up, or in the case of international law, not set up, uh, it means that Google has to honor every possible jurisdiction that could get its sticky fingers on the work that it's doing. Mm-hmm. So yep. fortunately, the EU has somewhat harmonized its laws for things like this. Um, but you know, even, even a company that's working glo- globally, even just a little global, <laughs> um, would have to worry about EU laws, UK laws, probably Irish laws, US laws, Canadian laws. I mean, and what you have to do is put all the protections in place 
um, <clears throat> it's almost like a race to the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to implement like the superset of protections required by each of these jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. It seems, I mean, it just seems crazy that people stand up cloud services at all, given that kind of environment, right? Yep. Yeah. And then like, even in, uh, like I saw a, uh, <laughs> uh, it was on Gordon Haas, uh, podcast. Um, um, there was a lady he interviewed that talked about, well, in the United States, not only do you have to worry about federal law, you have to worry about the laws of all 50 states as well. Mm -hmm. We saw this with uh, internet sales tax with when, for example, Texas, when they wanted to start collecting sales tax on internet transactions, suddenly Amazon pulled out all of its workers and its facilities out of Texas uh, because they didn't want to be subject to the rules. So mm -hmm. by pulling out, they were able to avoid Texas asserting jurisdiction over the war. Um, really complicated landscape, and I'm super glad I'm not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a lucrative business. That's true. That's true. And so, so you found you found a place where we can we can not worry about any of this, right? Yeah, yeah. So if we go to the uh, Principality of Zealand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was a, when you mentioned this to me. This was like a I I haven't thought about the Principality of Zealand in years, but this was like a big internet thing um, back around the two thousands, I guess. Is that when they mm -hmm. founded it? Um, it's a what is it? And it's not fancy. It's certainly not pleasant to look at. It's like a platform out in international water is that right mm -hmm. yep yeah i think it started what in 1967 or something it was basically something from world war ii mm -hmm. that some dude bought and then he's like oh i'll make it a country because it's outside of international you know it's in international waters and um i, I think somebody started a, a data center there called haven co and i think that closed down but um i can imagine that down the road that i wonder if the cloud providers will um to get around being compelled by the government that they're living in, that they'll go to almost like the a Cayman Islands for data, which is mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe it's uh, the Principality of Sealand. I, I can imagine this is a, a uh, Neil Stevenson book <laughs> right. wait, waiting to happen. Here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you can imagine too, different countries begin to compete based on more liberal or uh, less intrusive uh, data laws, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in order to attract businesses. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, oh boy. Okay. So another way of another way of solving this problem is uh, to pro to kind of decentralize the problem, right? Um, it's actually instead of keeping all the data in one place, is actually spreading it around a number of places or so many places that there's no way that anybody could actually put all the pieces together, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and then I guess that's the principle behind this Trist yep. tool you found. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, people doing a Kickstarter. It's a uh, distributed, secure uh, blog platform for the open web. So um, they're it, basically they're trying to do, I guess, like an open source Twitter sort of thing or a social uh, social thing where um, instead of uh, they're trying to be in as standards based as possible. Um, that uses RSS um, as the way to aggregate data. So instead of doing something that will not uh, that that's sort of like its own silo. Um, it's trying to uh, work with everybody, and I, you know, I look at it as it, this is an opportunity for disruption. I'm surprised people aren't doing it yet. Where um, you know, you you have in the past you have like CompuServe and AOL, and you know, you couldn't you're on CompuServe, you couldn't email your friends on AOL and all that, and mm -hmm. um, it, you know, but in the past it was even I guess it predated CompuServe is that you had things like NNTP and SMTP. Um, 
And wouldn't it be great if there was like a standard protocol for social networking where you could share things just as much as you could email? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, are you familiar with the IndieWeb guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what this is. The, I, this is heavily influenced by that. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Yeah, we should put a link to the uh, IndieWeb guys on the in the show notes because um, that's a really interesting kind of umbrella for a number of projects like this. Um, yeah, I remember there's there was one with a guy who was actually using IRC as the common, uh, kind of the common transport. Um, so that <laughs> a little janky, but you know, uh, being able to grab Twitter and blog posts and all, you know, all this other stuff and, uh, sharing it with other people, but using IRC as the place where all that stuff got collected. Yeah. Yeah. yeah goofy. Cool. So with all that Principality Sealand stuff, we, we ought to ask the Grokwa people if that would be an okay place to go. Oh, nope. 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 That's off limits now. Nope. What happened? Grokwa's closed. PJ, shut it down. PJ, ah. shut it down. Um, and it, it seems the, the reasoning for shutting it down, or let me start with what she said was, um, I use, I have sources and they send me stuff over email. And what we've learned from the Snowden disclosures and, and subsequent reporting is that uh, email is fundamentally insecure, like institutionally insecure. And so I cannot in good conscience ask these collaborators to continue working with me over email. And since I can't work over email, I'm shutting down the website. Mm-hmm. It seemed a little drastic, right? Yes. Yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. And I would think that there would be, it, to me, I that... It's an opportunity. Oh, tell right. me more. I I think that it's uh, well. I I think that you're going to have like all kind of open source efforts and you know things like this uh, trist or or whatever it's called cropping up as as a way to um, address this. There's obviously we've uncovered a market need. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I think yeah, but it's I'm it's disappointing that. Uh, that that was shut down, but you know, to me it was, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, also, I mean, she's shut it down before and it's, and it's yes. come back. Right. So I, I, I suspect that she will not be able to keep herself away. Um, and then mm-hmm. she will start. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Cause it's a great website. Yep. And maybe, maybe tools will come out where, you know, that'll make it more, you know, she'll be more comfortable. Uh, yeah. Which actually leads to uh, the next item here, which said uh, the, uh, I work, uh, one of the organizations I work with is the uh, open technology uh, fund. Um, mm-hmm. and this is, it's actually an arm of radio free Asia. And what they do is fund open source projects that fix this. Uh, so, uh, tools that, uh, help people, uh, collaborate, uh, without being surveilled. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's called anti-circumvention technology is the term of art they use. But, um, so it's, it's for things like if you want to be a journalist and work in a country like, Myanmar, right. Or, uh, China, um, you need special tools, you know, um, and Tor is great, but maybe Tor is not quite enough. Maybe you need tools that are easier to use or, uh, tools that accomplish uh, similar, but different functions. Anyway, um, it's a, it's a great organization. Um, they've done stuff like fund crypto cat, you know, this tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so yeah. it's like mm-hmm. an all in browser encrypted chat tool. Um, mm-hmm. so anyway, great organization doing really great work. And it's a, it's a joy to help them out. Nice. Yeah. 
This is kind of depressing me here. Uh, give me give me some Lauren news. Uh, her video from the uh, Akron Linux user group is online. So nice. we'll, we'll put a link to the show notes there. You'll you'll get to see her. Um, you'll get to see the one of the guys asking her, "Hey, why don't you make an application from scratch in front of everybody as we record it and put it on YouTube?" And you could see her reaction and how she pulls <laughs> it out. So pretty awesome. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, oh, I, I, mm-hmm. go ahead. We, we got other good news too. Right? Yeah, we got a new Linux user. Yeah, uh, welcome, Major Hayden, to the to the Linux fold. Um, this is a little weird. So he wrote this blog post about um, how it was transitioning from OS X to Linux. And my first question was, wait, you weren't running Linux before? Uh, it, that, seems, that seems banana noodles. But what, what, what is even... He, I mean, here's a guy who's like famous for being like a Linux security guy, and he was actually using OS X on his, uh, on his laptop. Yeah, yeah. And probably not in enforcing mode. Probably not in enforcing mode. Major. All right. Um... Oh, another 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 fun piece of news. Um, did you see this article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, United's uh, crazy, super, extra, double secret Admirals Club? Yeah, I'm. I'm like, I don't want to fly that much. <laughs> so this Think is how much you have of your life you have to sacrifice. You have to like fly to Hong Kong every day or something to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here I was. Yeah, here I was feeling pretty good about the my uh, the number of upgrades I was getting on US Air. Uh, but once I learned that you could be driven in a BMW on a tar- like you get off the plane between flights between flights. So you get off the plane, get into a BMW, and get driven to your connection. That's amazing. Yeah, we don't That's fly amazing. enough. We don't fly enough. No, I think we fly plenty. I think we fly plenty. Um, speaking of flying, um, we got a whole bunch of events coming up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The calendar is filling up. The calendar is certainly filling up. Um, do you want to go, you want to go through yours first? Yeah. So, um, I got, uh, I'm presenting with, uh, our good friends, uh, uh, David A. Wheeler and Josh Davis on a GovLoop, um, government innovator summit. So we're going to talk about, remember when we were talking earlier in the show about large scale, like. You know, okay, how do you do system administration um, and you're cutting all the admins? Well, um, in my mind, how do you do that on a large scale? Um, and, you know, and so that's one of the things I want to talk about. Uh, you know, managing up one Linux box doesn't scale as well. You know, you need to use tools to be able to manage a thousand. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's what I'll talk about there. Yep. Cool. Um, and then, oh, you got, a, you got an award, Dave. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Remember all the, the flights that I was doing every week with the sweater lady? Yeah, to, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To go to D.C. every week. Um, so, um, it's not U.S. Air giving me the award. It is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they owe me. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, FCA D.C. I'm, I will be the FCN of the month uh, for September. So, um so that'll be on the 16th. And then uh, I'm a panelist on uh, another GovLoop event in D.C. on the 17th. And then uh, we got the, gov- the Symantec Government Symposium on October 2nd. Um, and uh, what, what are you up to? Uh, let's see. Um, so in order, uh, first the Ocera Conference is next week. Um, these are mm-hmm. the folks uh, who are the custodians for the Vista electronic health record system from the veterans administration. Um, so they're doing their annual conference next week. And so I'll be talking about, uh, 
open source and business models and stuff like that. That'll be cool. Um, and then uh, the week after that, <clears throat> we've got the uh, North Carolina Data Palooza, mm-hmm. which we talked about in the last episode. Uh, and then I just learned, I think I'm still doing this, uh, about the next NIST Cloud Workshop. Um, mm-hmm. They do about four of these a year. Um, anyway, I'll be giving a giving a talk at the uh, Cloud Workshop, which I'm which I'm excited about. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yep. And you got your uh, article published on GCN. Yep. Yep. I, you know, so funny. I I saw the <clears throat> I got I subscribed to GCN like the RSS feed, and so I got the article emailed to me. And I'm reading the title of the article, which is, uh, do you have a cloud exit strategy? And I was like, oh yeah, this is like right up my alley, man. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> and so opened the email like, wah, wah, I wrote it. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um, did you agree with what you wrote? <clears throat> I did. I did. You know, in fact, I'd, I had written, I, I had actually written it, um, a number of weeks ago and I'd forgotten that I had submitted it. And so it was, so I read it again and it was like reading it for the first time. It was nice. nice. Um, but uh, but I'm proud of it. It was it was uh, it's a it's a nice summary of uh, this exit strategy theme that I've been kind of riffing on for the last six months. Um, and mm-hmm. so now I've got some I can point people to when they ask about it. So that's that's really great. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, how did the FedScoop thing go? Yeah. So it was uh, the lowering cost of government with IT event. So uh, I did that, and you know how it is. It's like you're getting ready to go on stage and everything, and. Uh, so everybody was seated. There was probably, what, 400 people there in the room. Um, I, I We'll put a link to one of the action photos in the uh, show notes so you can see how, how big the room was with all these people. And uh, it's like they announced us, and then I'm walking on stage. So basically there's this platform, a couple steps up the platform. I walk up the platform, and like you'll see in the picture in the show notes, you're going to see this TV hanging from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I crack my head on, this, on the uh, – <laughs> On, on the TV, so it's like talking about you're like going on stage to do you know it's not at the end, it's not at the beginning, it's not in the middle. It's like this is a first impression you're making in front of like 400 people, and oh. and it wasn't like a solid thud. It was like like hitting a gong because it was like <laughs> this you know, and and so you know how it is when they they're like announcing people and you know it's still rumbling in the audience and everything. And mm-hmm. I hit this and then it just went blah and dead silence 400 people dead silence they're looking at me to see whether my head is still connected to my body um blood everywhere and everything and and so you know and i'm just thinking how am i going to recover from this and you know i i'm like on this panel with like four cios and ctos and and so it's like i'm like okay i just walk over to my seat i pick up the microphone and i'm like well now that I have your attention, um, and I just <laughs> nice. went right into it and and uh, finished it off. So it's like I, I, I you know, people said it; they they liked it, um, they were happy with it, and all that. So, um, yeah. So that's that was my excitement for the week. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's amazing. That's great. Um, yeah. Did you, ever, going... did you ever have a situation like that where you it's know, like? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I don't think I, I don't think I've actually caused myself bodily harm. Uh, <laughs> in a in a public event. yourself <laughs> that's right that's right yeah or, or i don't think i've ever had to run a panel with a concussion before um yeah. but it sounds like it could be fun yeah yeah between the painkillers for your arm and the concussion you, you could have a nice little weekend yep yep trippy yep. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so in uh, SE Linux news, the, those videos you did for multi-level security and, and SE Linux kind of tutorial videos uh, mm-hmm. that got posted to think, got a nice little shout out from Mr. Dan Walsh. Yeah, he did a nice uh, blog post about how uh, I did a, that, that video series on uh, software-defined multi-level security. Software-defined. What, 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 what does that mean? I don't know. It's, it sounds cool. <laughs> it does sound cool. It sounds, sounds futuristic. It sounds like, wow, software-defined. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's going on the list right next to cyber on our on, on our on the blacklist. On the blacklist, we're keeping a blacklist. Um, software defined. What a nonsense term. Um, I, I, well, yeah, and that's the big trend I think. Where it's the thought is software defined means that you don't need to have a human walk into a data center and physically unplug and replug stuff. Right. So like right. software defined networking, you don't have somebody at a switch moving cables or software defined cl- uh virtual uh, you know software defined data center, you know as far as like, right. oh that's virtualization. Yeah. 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 I it, it it's a pity too because it's a it's a nonsense term. Um but really all it describes is like the move uh of a particular capability from hardware into software, right? Um mm-hmm. but it's being used as like this shibboleth Right, or this uh, like magic pixie dust. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, magically, you know, sprinkle of software-defined storage. It's going to be magic. Uh, anyway, right alongside cyber, throw it in the throw it in the bin. Um, yep. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, so we we also have some uh, software-defined middleware that just got certified, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, JBoss EAP six right mm-hmm. is now in evaluation. So that's yeah. exciting. And at uh, at EAL four. Mm-hmm. I just yep, realized common criteria, which yep. is very cool. So, so just like we did with Linux, we're starting with the lower levels of assurance and moving up to higher levels of assurance. So before we were EAL two, and now we're in evaluation for EAL four, which is a tremendous accomplishment. And uh, congratulations to the JBoss team. You guys did a great job. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, let's see. So Helixon's law. I'm still disappointed that. What a bummer. Yeah, what happened? Yeah, it didn't didn't. Didn't, it got rejected. I'm not famous enough, apparently. Apparently. Well, and it was, I, I wouldn't say rejected, and it, it's rejected for now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so, so now is the time, Dave, when we can uh, start laying the groundwork uh, for uh, improving my reputation to the point where we can convince Wikipedia that I'm worth writing about, right? Yes. So I was thinking about actually. You mentioned Sealand earlier. Um, I was over on their uh, on their website, and I noticed there was a shopping section. So I click on the shopping section, and I right. can see that I can actually purchase myself uh, a, a noble title from Sealand. Yeah. Do you think that'll help? Uh, it could. Uh, so if, you know, if I refer to myself as uh, Lord Gunnar Helixson of Sealand, um, that seems like a slam dunk, right? I should be able to just waltz right into Wikipedia and write about whatever I want, right? Right. Yeah, they'll give you right access. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, buying indulgences. They'll indul- give you a root. <laughs> give me a root on Wikipedia. It's it's a little <laughs> bit like uh, it's like uh, buying indulgences, right? Um, yeah. Except I get a title to carry around with me. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So what but, what are your choices? Uh, let's see. The, the choices are Baron, Lord, Count, or Knight. I think. Okay. So a knight, Sir, Sir Gunnar Helixson. Yeah, defender of the realm, defender of a very small World War II era platform in international waters off the coast of England. Um, yeah. I, I wish they had better titles, though. It'd be, it'd be cool to have like uh, Vicon or Vizier or, or something like from the Ottoman Empire. That'd be that'd be sweet. Burgermeister. Burgermeister. Yeah, exactly. Sultan. 
Mm -hmm. So I was thinking if we get a bunch of folks who are able to buy titles from Sealand, uh, and then we all write about Helixon's Law, um, then it's slam dunk, right? It's got to get in there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we need to do that. Yep. Uh, oh, somebody else already did this, right? Oh, with the, the Brazilians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what happened there? So the, uh, <laughs> there was this, a bunch of, they were academics, right? They were scientists. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, you know, the thing about science is, uh, you know, peer review to get into mm -hmm. journals. And so mm -hmm. they basically formed this cartel where each of them basically endorsed the other. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, kind of the cross product, you can imagine like this mesh of, of uh, endorsements. Uh, in order yeah, to, I'll, I'll cite yours if you cite mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, in order to raise the, uh, in order to raise the value of each of their publications, um, the idea is total genius. Um, also morally bankrupt, um, mm -hmm. which is why I think they were what fined or thrown fired. I think they were all fired. Um, but a genius idea is really good. Uh, it's a good thing that uh, Wikipedia doesn't have the force of law behind them. Yep. Otherwise our, uh, title inflation plan would, uh, would, uh, go off the rails. Yeah, but we we have some good news from on a Wikipedia account, right? That's true. Um, uh, the good folks at Commafeed, or someone who updated the Commafeed entry on Wikipedia, uh, actually linked over to the Dave and Gunner show, which is really sweet. Yeah, so if great. you look up Commafeed, our our favorite open source uh, RSS reader mm -hmm. in Wikipedia, there's an article for that, and one of the links actually points back to the interview uh, episode that we did. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so what I'm thinking is like we can start. We can start with a Dave and Gunner show Wikipedia entry, which links mm -hmm. to the comma feed entry. The comma feed mm -hmm. folks have already linked to us, so that works out nicely. And then you and I can each have entries on the strength of that Dave and Gunner show entry, right? And then the doors open, and then we can basically throw in whatever we want, right? David A. Wheeler has a Wikipedia page. David Wheeler can help us out. So David Wheeler refers back to the David Gunner show because we referred to him on this. Oh, see, this is great. This is this is how cartels start. This is fantastic. Okay, so we gotta we gotta call Matt Mycini. He has to get a Wikipedia page. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Our mule. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. That's um, awesome. So speaking of uh, making friends and influencing people, Dave, you're saying no backfired, right? Yes. Yes, and how did that, well, how did no, that... in a good way. Oh, okay. In a good way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, friend of the show, Adam Clater, um, he uh, is interesting story. So, there was a remember in the uh, previous episode we were talking about how to say no, um, mm -hmm. but I was also talking about how to how to get people to say yes and how to make it hard to get people to say no. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to get people to say yes is that you basically want to boil things down so that they would look dumb for saying no. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that we ran into, uh, Adam ran into a thing with a, a customer and um, where an opportunity with a customer where it will um, um, help the customer out. It'll help Red Hat out, but it, it required commitment from engineering. And, and so instead of, and, but it was a kind of thing that, oh, well, we'll have professional services be the front on it. You know, they'll collect the revenue for it, but we, but we don't want to stick engineering with doing all the work or any of the work. We just mm -hmm. sort of want them as a phone a friend um, in case we, you know, we get stuck and we need some help. And so, um, you know, traditionally a lot of times people are in a hurry and they, they just say that, oh, I need engineering support for this and we got this deal and blah, blah, blah. And, the 
the people from engineering would be reluctant to pick up something where it could backfire on them or they don't know how deep they would get into if they said yes. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that, that Adam did a great job with is putting bounds around it, saying that, no, we only need you for phone a friend in case things are going to go wrong. Consulting is going to do all the heavy lifting and they're going to take care of all that work. So um, he phrased it um, that way, gave it to me to run to the, the um, uh, engineering and in, in less than two hours, we got approval from engineering, and we were able to uh, um, uh, win that deal with the customer. So it was a good deal. Nice work, Adam. Mm-hmm. That guy, must, that guy must be married. And and I think that helps too. You know, whenever you, <laughs> you know, it's it's all that negotiation stuff. And mm-hmm. speaking of which, um, there's there's being right and being persuasive. Uh, speaking of being married, um, marriage, <laughs> marriage advice. Um, yeah, so, the, was, so so as you know, I'm newly married. I need I need this kind of advice. So so what did you what did you find? Yeah, so there was a uh, an interesting blog post that um, I saw that a professor, I guess, is a professor or maybe a grad student or something like that. He basically did this blog post on um, you could be right, but you could you could be as you could be a hundred percent right, but you won't persuade anybody. And so what he goes into is he, you know, he does this really scientific example where um, he did it in academic speak of, and it sounded really, you know, that you, you would read it and unless you were like a physicist or whatever, you wouldn't understand what he was saying. And maybe even if you were a physicist, you wouldn't understand it. But it kind of looked compelling, but it didn't really convince anybody. But um, what, what this, uh, but what he did was he rewrote this part of the statement so that um, like a layman could understand it. And so they would be like, oh yeah, I get it. And I, I understand it. And, and that's the thing that the premise of his article was it, um, you know, you could be right all day long. And um, that's what, I, and I run into this with a lot of smart people that they're really smart, but they, and they know they're right. And so since they know they're right, they don't have to be tactful in, in um mm-hmm. you know getting their point across and and so as a result they wonder why they're not persuading anybody or they're upsetting other other people and all that mm-hmm. and i think this is good relationship advice too i mean you could be right but if you're you know if you phrase it the wrong way um you know you're you're not getting the desired result you want yeah it's really i mean it, it's about uh providing the context in which you are persuasive right uh so you can take exactly the same argument and Ha- put it in one context and it will not be persuasive at all. But if you contextualize it differently, it can be extremely persuasive, right? This is how, this is what Adam did with you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you just said, Hey, listen, I need engineering to do phone a friend for this, for this deal. Um, that is not particularly compelling. But if he says, this is all the work that I did and these are the benefits and this is the downside. And I think this is, you know, manifestly good. Uh, mm-hmm. and you go, Oh yes, you're right. Adam. That's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, and, and no. he, yeah, so he was right, he was persuasive, mm-hmm. and if I would have said no, or engineering would have said no, we would have looked stupid. That's right. Because it was like, it was like you know, you got to be a fool to not do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> this, this distinction between being right and being persuasive is, uh, we can call it the open source disease, is the inability to distinguish between the two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, famously, open source mailing lists are full of people who are right. Um, and very, very few who are actually persuasive. Hmm. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, all right. So we can use this now in our campaign. <clears throat> Excuse me. We can use this again in our campaign against the Snollygosters. Yeah, but you can't use that word anymore. Uh, why not? Uh, it's been removed. What's the matter? Snollygoster is a great word. Nope. Nope. I think the people, what is it, Oxford Dictionary people, they, they removed it, so you can't use it anymore. What are we, what are we, French? Suddenly we got an academy that tells us which, well, why did they take it out? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yep. And, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I, I was sad. I, and I, I didn't really, it, it's sad to see it gone. Um, because I, I really didn't have a chance to, to use it as much whenever it was still eligible for being used. <laughs> so what is a Snollygoster? A Snollygoster is uh, it's a, it's a shrewd person uh, who is unprincipled. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so a, name, name your favorite Snollygoster. Adam Clater. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yep. Totally unprincipled. The guy's a... The guy's a sociopath, basically. But he's shrewd. But he's extremely shrewd, as as you found. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, you're not a sociopath. Yeah. Um, but you're I, shrewd. But you are extremely shrewd. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, all right, Dave. What do you say? You want to get this weekend started? Oh yeah, I'm ready. All right, me too. Uh, so, Dave, if uh, people want to uh, join the uh, Citation Cartel, uh, where where should they go? Well, they, yeah, they, they need to go to uh, D, as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org, so dgshow.org. Excellent. Uh, all right, well, have a great Labor Day weekend, Dave. Yeah, you too. Bye, everybody. Bye.